0: So as I said, I am beyond excited about us being together today. For me, growing up, the church family was the number one constant that I had in my life. When I was a young child, before we started going to church, one of my most favorite things every summer was our family reunion, where we would all gather up and we would ride on a trailer behind a tractor down to the river and we would spend the rest of the day eating barbecue and swinging from a train bridge which I'm fairly certain is illegal but that that's beside the point uh, statute of limitations is run out anyway so I'm free but as I began to grow up and as family dynamics began to change and the family reunion became less and less it was my church family that became the new highlight of my life There was nothing more exciting to me than a church potluck. And each year when we would do a fall retreat and we would go up to our church camp and we would have a speaker come in and people from church were there, that became my new family reunion. And the games that we would play and the activities we would do became uh, my new source uh, of that happiness. And so for a church to gather together as one family and to rejoice and learn to worship as one congregation that is exciting to me and I look forward for what God is doing so in life one of the things that I have realized is that it is very easy for me to become distracted And I've shared with you before I am a proud card-carrying member of the ADHD club and I know that, and you would think, once you know that, that is the first step to getting help. And, and I have, I've done that, but uh, it's still easy for me to get distracted, just on a normal day. Uh, if you ask anybody here at the office, I will make it up and down the hallway about five times before I make it to either destination that I have set out to go. I'll set out for the office, remember I forgot something, go back, think I don't need it, start back the other way. Remember, I probably need something else though, and go back, and it's, it's a vicious cycle. But that is just in a daily work life, that I can be distracted and things like that. And I can be distracted uh, at home with things like that, too. I have a to-do list that's a mile long. Uh, My garage is very evident that I am a man of many projects. Uh, Many of them have not been done. Um, But I have realized that in life in general, it is very easy for me to become distracted on the things that I want to do. Last week we talked about noise in our lives and how sometimes we can let our lives become so noisy that we can't hear God speaking through the confusion. So for our Advent study this year, we're going to study based on the word reset. And we know what reset is. It is when you you take everything and you kind of put it back to the beginning. You start over at ground zero. And Advent is the perfect time to do that because the very definition of Advent is a season of preparation for the arrival of an important person or event. And we would say that Christmas is a pretty, per, uh, pretty important event, right? And the reason that we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, that's a pretty important person. So what better time to discuss needing to reset than during the season of Advent? You see, each day when we wake up and each day when we set out, we are ultimately faced with a mystery. When we leave our house each day, we have a plan in place of the things that we want to do and the things that we hope to accomplish. But only God knows whether or not we're going to be able to get those things. As I told you with ADHD, I'm fairly certain that I'm probably not going to accomplish most of the things on my list. But we hope for that. We have things that we hope to do. We want to get things taken care of. And each day we pursue something. We want to be better than we were the day before. We want to uh, accomplish something that we didn't quite get to uh, last week. And so we're always pursuing something. And in order that we might attain the things that we pursue, we pursue the things that we hope will get us to that point of success, meaning that we try to pursue an order to our day. We try to pursue a little bit of knowledge about the things that we're going to be confronted with that day. A little bit of foreknowledge is called planning. Some of us are good, some of us are not. And our hope is, is that each day, as we pursue things, that we will get the things that we need. That we will get the things that we want And that we will have success in the areas that we hope um, that we can be successful in. But what we're going to do today is we're going to look through the example of Israel, which is very easy for us to do. Israel sets a lot of examples for us throughout their history. Things that are good and things that are not so good. But today we're going to look through the the history of Israel. And we're going to see from their example that sometimes even in our pursuit of happiness we can pursue the wrong things. And when we pursue the wrong things, even with the right hope within us, then what happens is that we're left with stress, we're left unsuccessful in the things that we hope to attain, and in the end we feel like we're worse than we were in the beginning. So if you've got your Bible with you, I want you to turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 33, and we're going to read the verse again that Jack read. The day will come when the Lord, the day will come, says the Lord, when I will do for Israel and Judah all the good things that I have promised them. In those days and at that time I will raise up a righteous descendant from King David's line and he will do what is just and is right throughout the land and in that day Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety and this will be its name. The Lord is our righteousness. So this was Jeremiah's prophecy for the people of Israel. And to give you a little bit of the background of Israel's situation at this time, Israel was in what you would call a bit of chaos. Uh, A conquering army had come in and had sent uh, more than half of them out uh, into exile, just over parts of the world, because one of the tactics of war at the time was when you would conquer a land, you would separate their people. And if you could send sometimes their strongest and best warriors out into exile where they were no longer around their people and they were no longer around their home, what you did is you kept them from raising up an army and coming back and taking their land. So this had happened to Israel. There had actually been an invading army come in and send out most of their people into exile. And so they were sitting here now in their land in chaos they didn't know what to do but more so than that Jeremiah tells us earlier on in chapter 23 that there was no king in Israel at this time each person was left to govern themselves basically and in doing so they lived in the middle of what Tony Evans would call a moral chaos the definition of a civilized society is that people realize that for the good of the whole some people must be willing to do without their personal interests. must be willing to do without their personal wants so that the entire group may flourish. But what Tony Evans says moral chaos is, is when each individual in a society tries to decide the standard of right and wrong based off their own personal opinion. What is wrong for you might be right for me. What is right for that person may be wrong for you and he says that Israel was also at this time uh... looking for what would be considered majority rule and that is where the part of civilized society begins to take shape but what if society chooses the wrong thing now i know you're thinking now matt uh... with people that are educated people that know people that learned the the chances that the greater whole choosing the wrong thing are very slim But he gives an example of Nazi Germany, of how an entire country chose the wrong thing and in doing so led to the extermination of over a million people. So Israel had become so caught up in living life, if you want to say that, that God had actually become a second priority and it become more of a formality and an afterthought. So when we think about God becoming second priority, what does that look like? I know it's easy for us to say that God is always our first priority, but as we're going to see with Israel, they still said their daily prayers. They still looked as though they were the people that they were supposed to be. But something had changed in their life to where God was no longer the primary influence in their lives. And he had become something more of a convenience than he was something that they actively pursued. Something that each day they hoped to discover more about. And each day they hoped to grow more. So... Israel at this time no longer thirsted for God's righteousness. Throughout the pages of the Old Testament and throughout Paul's writings in the New Testament, it is very clear that the people that belong to God and the people that are filled with God's Spirit are to have one pursuit overall encompassing everything else in their life. And that is to know the righteousness of God. And the reason that we as human beings need to pursue God's righteousness is because God is the one who designed us. God is the one who created us based on operating from the standard of what he has said is good and what he has said is bad. So Israel no longer thirsted for this righteousness, meaning that they were no longer pursuing to know what God thought. They were no longer worried about God's opinion on the matters of their lives. And in the absence of righteousness, what exists is a disease of the heart. Now, I'm not talking about like arterial sclerosis or things like that. That's a big word. You didn't know. I knew it. But I'm not talking about that type of a disease of the heart But what I'm talking about is where just as our heart pumps blood to keep our bodies alive, deep within us there is something pumping out a source that is supposed to be keeping us alive, but instead it is giving us something less than the life that God had wanted us to experience. And so Israel no longer felt a conviction in their lives when things uh, influenced them or things were giving them life that was not of God. But understand, they still went to the temple. Each week, they did their duties as Israel was supposed to do, and they went to the temple, and like I told you, they looked the part, they dressed the right ways, they did all the things, and they even did their daily prayers just as they were supposed to. As far as traditions were going, they had it figured out. You remember a few weeks ago when we were talking about Jesus at the Feast of Tabernacles and all of Israel was there but God was no longer the focus? That is where Israel was here in this situation where, where Jeremiah is talking. That it was all supposed to be about God but yet somehow God had become second fiddle. So in their hearts God was no longer the pursuit. Their actions were no longer worried about getting them closer to God. They were no longer worried about establishing God as the king of their lives and their activities of daily life. The things that they did every day, the shopping, the conversing, whatever it was, God was no longer considered in the midst of that. And because of that, God was no longer able to influence their thinkings. Have you ever had a moment in life Where a situation arose and you just knew that God was all over it. And it just seemed like you knew what to say at the right time and you knew what to do at the right time. And it just seemed like it all worked out perfectly and wonderful. You see, that is what it looks like when God is the one who influences our thinking. But yet for Israel, it was the exact opposite of that. Because God was no longer influencing their thinking, they no longer felt His presence. Each day when they set out to be the people, it felt as though God was nowhere near. When they would pray or when they would bring something to God, it felt like God wasn't listening or or perhaps God had left them to be on their own. Does that situation sound familiar to anybody? You ever had a, a moment or a season in your life where you pray... And you feel like God isn't listening to you. That you are hurting deep within your spirit. And it seems as though God is off playing golf or chasing rabbits somewhere. You see, Israel would bring their laments to Jeremiah the prophet. And Jeremiah would tell them over and over again what the problem was. But yet, for some reason, Israel was unable to hear And it seemed that the harder they tried, the less things worked out. The more that they worked, it seemed like they would slip further and further away from where they wanted to be. Does that feel like you? You look at your life and you say, I come to church each week. I picked up an upper room last week. As a matter of fact, I got two of them so I could have one in my car and one at home. But no matter how hard you try, it seems that it's not working out. No matter how hard you work, it seems like you're not accomplishing anything. You see, Israel had become so busy pursuing things. Pursuing things that they thought had value. Things that they thought they needed. Things that they wanted and they worked so hard to get. But they felt lost. They felt lost just as their ancestors had once in the wilderness. Of having the identity of being God's people. Of saying that God is the one who leads them. And that they follow only where God says to go. But yet they were wandering. They were wandering with no hope in sight. And they were wandering as if they were without a home. That each night when they would lay down it was in a new place. They were not at this same place last night and they knew that surely tomorrow would bring them to a different place. Now for most of us, hopefully all of us, each night when we lay down, we lay down in the same place each time. But is our heart in that same place each night when we go to bed? When we go to bed at night, are we able to look back on our day And give God thanks for what is going on. Or do we lay down in our bed at night and we throw out a list to God of the ways that we need to see Him. We throw out a list of the ways that we want God to do something in our life. Or that we so desperately want to hear God speaking to us. But yet all it seems is that God is worried about somebody else's business. Or maybe God is too busy with the things that God does, such as controlling the stars and the moon and the the day and the night, that he doesn't have time to hear us and it feels like we're talking to the wall. And so the next day we get up and we do our best, but yet we still feel like things have failed. We wake up determined that we are going to do better today But yet, that night brings us to a new place of feeling as though we are in the wilderness. By definition, home is a place where a person resides permanently. Wouldn't you say that? I love the old saying on Hallmark, that home is where the heart is. Home is where the heart is. And as we think about Israel's situation, and as we think about... Where our hearts may be, that is a perfect thing for us to think about. Where is our heart? You see, for Israel, their heart was not on God. Their heart was not worried about being in the presence of God. Did you hear what I'm saying there? They still looked the part. They still did all the traditional things that they were supposed to do, but yet their heart, the source of their life, was not worried about being in the presence of God. For Israel, home had become more about their agendas. It had become more about their schedules and fitting in the things that society at large would tell them that need to be a part of their life. And it would be about being where they were supposed to be and known as who they were supposed to be more so than it was about being in God's presence. And because their heart was not worried about being in God's presence, God was not free to work in their lives. If home is where the heart is, and our heart is not pursuing God's presence and God's righteousness, then we are not allowing God's Spirit to work in our lives. So when we're reached with those situations, when we cry out, God, please do something, God's Spirit is saying, I can't. You won't let me. When we reach that season of life, when we say, God, you've got to take this away from me. I can't handle it anymore. God's Spirit is saying, I would love to. But you won't let me. So Israel would cry out to Jeremiah and would say, we need God to be here. We are supposed to be God's people. Where is he at? And all the while, Jeremiah would say, you say with your words that you want God. You say that your hope is found in God, but yet your lives are not ordered to show that you are home in God's presence. You're not filling your minds with things that show that you are in pursuit of God's righteousness. For some of us, we have become just like Israel. Our words declare that we want to know God better. Our words say that we believe in Jesus Christ. We come to church because we know we're supposed to. We do the things that we know that we're traditionally supposed to do, but yet our heart is not pursuing to be in the presence of God. And we become so encompassed in our pursuit of things that we forget that the only pursuit of our life is God's righteousness in every single thing that we do each day we are to pursue God's righteousness In times when we can be silent God is to fill our thoughts in the opportunity that we have to speak God is to be the one who influences our words and when we pursue God's righteousness and when we can say that home is where the heart is and my home is in Jesus Christ, then we open the door for the Spirit to work in our lives. If each day you continue to try and you continue to fail, you have to ask yourself a question. Are you pursuing the right things in life? Are you pursuing The things that God's word tells you that as a new creation you are to pursue. Are you actually pursuing God's righteousness? That is an indictment on almost every single one of us in this room. Do we actually pursue God's righteousness? Do you remember that warning in the Bible to be doers of God's word and not just hearers only? it is easy for us to hear sometimes it's easy for us to agree but are we actually pursuing it to become who we are and what we are about do we truly trust in God and do we truly believe that our home is in Jesus Christ want you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 I want to read to you verses 19 through 21. Actually, I'm going to go back to verse 17. This means that anyone who belongs to Jesus Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. It is no more. And a new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Jesus Christ. Remember, he is our creator We began in Him, and through Jesus Christ, He brings us back to Himself. And God has given us this task of reconciling people unto Him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to Himself, no longer counting God's sins against them. And He gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation, that we are Christ's ambassadors, and God is making His appeal through us, that we speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sins so that we could be made right with God through Christ. In Jeremiah chapter 33, he gives a promise. And Jeremiah says that the word of the Lord says this, If you can break my covenant with the day and you can break my covenant with the night so that one does not follow the other, Only then will my covenant with my people be broken. You see, even in the midst of God's people allowing him to become the second fiddle, even in the midst of God's people's priorities shifting from the pursuit of God's righteousness as their home to the things that they felt were of value and of worth, God still kept his promise. And he said the only way that my promise to my people would be broken is if somebody can figure out how to break the covenant between day and night that one will follow the other. And we know for a fact that day will always come after night. And we know for a fact that now that it is daylight savings time that at 4 o'clock it's going to start getting dark. And if we can know that for a fact, God says that is the assurance that we can have that God will do His part. So the good thing is is that our hope is not dependent on our ability to always get it right. But our hope can be found in the fact that through Jesus Christ, God already got it right. And God has already done what is necessary for you and for me to experience His peace. But in order that we allow the Spirit to work in our lives, we have to make our heart at home in Jesus Christ. We have to live permanently in the presence of Jesus Christ and permanently in the pursuit of God's righteousness. We have to be willing to put aside our personal opinions our personal wants and our personal hopes to understand that the things that God has given us are better than the best that we could think we need. That hope in Jesus Christ and in His promise is better than a hope in anything that we think we could accomplish for ourselves. And when we allow our homes to be in Jesus Christ, we can remember that Because we are justified through faith in Him, we can have peace. The peace that only God can give. To where our season of life no longer matters. To where uh, the things going on in our day are no longer able to steal our peace. And each night when we go to bed, we don't feel as though we are lost in the wilderness. Or as though God is ten miles away not listening when we speak. And he is not aware of what is going on in our life. So my challenge to you is this. As we begin this Advent season. As we join together walking through the study of resetting our lives. I want to challenge you to reset where home is. Because that is where your heart is. Reset where your heart is and take the time to follow God's Word over popular opinion. To do that, it means you must be able to read it and then to trust in what it says and do what it says. But let us reset home and trusting God's promises over our abilities. And sometimes that's the hardest thing we have to do, is to realize that we don't have control, but God has already promised us victory. Let us reset our home and following where God leads and not where we think it's best for us to go. Let us reset in looking to where God is telling us to fix our eyes. When you're out camping, you're out hiking, one of the ways that you navigate the woods is that you set your sights far off in the distance on a point. And your goal is not to make it to your final destination. Your goal is to make it to that next point. And every so often along the way, you stop and you check which way your compass is telling you. And you check your bearings to make sure that you are still heading towards that place. When our heart is in Jesus Christ, our eyes are fixed on Jesus. And so the only thing we look to arriving at is the presence of Jesus Christ. So let us reset our hope in Jesus Christ who was crucified who was risen and who is calling us to make our hearts at home in him. Will you join me as I pray? Father God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for the opportunity at life. Thank you for the chance for forgiveness time and time again to receive your mercy to hear your words of grace spoken over our hearts and to be given a chance at new life. God, we are grateful that we are reconciled not through our abilities to be perfect but through Christ's perfect sacrifice. That if we would trust in you and believe in you that you will accomplish all the things that you have promised. And that we can rest our hope in that. So God, this Advent season, as we uh, begin to remember the birth of Christ and all the things that it brings, God, we ask that you would help us to not make you secondary. That we would clothe ourselves in your righteousness. That we would desire and seek to become your people that we would be filled with your spirit, that our words would speak of your goodness and our actions would be evidence of who you are. And so God, every moment of the day, help us to pray the prayer that your son taught us to pray as we pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses